I'll thank you again. All right, guys, welcome to the debrief. Uh, thank you for being a subscriber, by the way, and listening to all these debriefs. We mm -hmm. enjoy them ourselves. David, this is our right. opportunity, though, to talk about what that episode was. We're uh, recording this actually a couple days later, so we've had some time to mm -hmm. sort of digest it and let it mm -hmm. sink in. Mimetic desire, what is your take on this topic? Yeah, I, one of the reasons why I really enjoyed doing this podcast and the one of the things I really enjoy about this industry is that, like, far off reaching subjects like the Renaissance and mimetic desire They're are relevant. not even relevant, but critical yeah, to really understanding true. like this foundational industry. foundational. Yeah. Right. And like, I didn't really know too much about mimetic desire at, or basically at all before listening to this guy. And now I feel like I'm already much more knowledgeable and well-equipped to navigate this industry. Now that I have the knowledge of mimetic desire in my brain i just feel i feel like like i upgraded my sword from a short sword to a long sword and now i'm ready to, <laughs> to hack through the dark forest of crypto in the crypto rpg game that we're all playing yeah, i mean it's really exactly. let's be honest this really is an rpg crypto sure. is absolutely like gamified life um do you know just what actual capital at stake no i kind of knew about this principle but like didn't couldn't name it right couldn't and like you've it. talked before about the power of naming things how mm -hmm. that gives you more like control and insight and the ability to like sort of be a third party and analyze these things right so mm -hmm. i i kind of had an inclination Incl of what this yeah. thing was but I, I i could never name it and I'll, I'll tell you kind of a story of uh, where i had an inclination of it so i used to do like a lot of business development right which is like you have to um, pitch things. It was all about the pitch. You have to pitch things to high-level executives, people who are important, VIPs, investors, right? Let's say you have a startup, David, and like you're, you're, you're basically like, I want to um, convince these investors that my startup is amazing. Well, there's kind of the naive way to play this, which I played in sort of my early 20s, which is like, they want to hear all about like the facts of the thing. Mm -hmm. And you need to rationally convince mm -hmm. their, their frontal the cortex. Numbers. Yeah, the bar they, charts, the pie yes, charts. And they care if you're like nice and kind and all of these things. It turns out humans don't care about that at all. Okay. Like in the pitch setting where you have 20 minutes to, to give them the best pitch and convince them that your product, or your company, or your idea is right, humans aren't even operating at the frontal lobe level. It's all like right. lizard brain stuff. stuff. Mm -hmm. And what turned my whole like trajectory around was when I read this book called How to Pitch Anything by mm -hmm. uh, Warren Clave, who uses like, dark powers of mimetic desire, I think, to craft sales pitch. And, and he said this, he said, people want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them and people value that which they pay for, okay? These are like the fundamentals. People want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them and people value that which they pay for, okay? And like he has a whole book about how to pitch things with this core fundamental thesis in mind. And you play it completely differently. Like you're, you're in a pitch room with a bunch of like executive decision makers uh, or VCs. And what do you do? You play hard to get. That's how you pitch it. That's how you mm -hmm. tweak their desire. You, you present right. something novel and new. You, you use terms that sort of talk to not the rational front mm -hmm. of their brain, but like the back of their brain. You make the them- The FOMO side of the brain. It. The FOMO side of the brain. Mm -hmm. And all of the sales books that I had read before about like solution selling and like you have to like um, craft it in the craft a, a, a sales pitch in the form of what problem does it solve? Total garbage compared to this. Mm -hmm. Because if you can talk to like their mimetic desire side of mm -hmm. things, 
that's how you actually sell things. And that's how you convince people. Steve Jobs used this, like one of the best salesmen ever, mm -hmm. I think, used mm -hmm. this perfectly. You can see it embedded in his products and his presentations, right? It's all mimetic desire. And this is really what the world runs on. So anyway, I've known about this a little bit and like right. used these dark powers before. I, mm -hmm. I call them dark powers, but like they're just hidden force powers. But right. they really do allow you, David, to like tap into the firmware level of people's brains and almost like short circuit their rational decision making if you totally. if you can do it right. Yeah, you you said uh, if one of the quotes from the guy is that people value things that they pay for. There's a just a it's if you anyone that has a degree in psychology knows the fallacy of that. People will take the advice that they paid for over the advice that they got for free, <laughs> really? regard regardless of the legitimacy or or authority of the source of that advice. This is wow. why the the meme of just like you climbing up a mountain to go see the ancient the ancient like uh, you know sage who gives you just the prophecy of the future. Like the you have to you have to climb up the mountain to get there and so like it adds legitimacy to like the source of the advice because you had to work to get it right proof mm. of work versus airdrops right mm -hmm. right like so, you have to work for it or you don't value right. it right um and that, that was a little bit of a, of a side quest but one of the inclinations that came to me actually I, I'll, I'll bring that up later you talked about um just like the the lizard brain side of things um and uh, Elon Musk was talking on the uh, uh, Joe Rogan podcast about why Instagram is more successful than Twitter. Yeah. And he said, he said the phrase limbic resonance, as in like the limbic side of your brain, which is a much deeper, it's the straight up the reptilian side of your brain. Limbic resonance is a, as in like, you can see things visually, humans are very visual. Uh, and you can also hear things on Instagram and Instagram, you can tell a story inside of a picture and everything just resonates more limbically on Instagram rather it like just attacks your lizard brain just way faster right uh and and twitter it's much more cerebral it's much more conversations it's much more thoughts and ideas that take more mental load and computation and that's all the prefrontal cortex and overall the this uh, uh cerebellum that's like that's the process and so when you're going into like uh some presentation you got to pitch something and you're showing like numbers and graphs and bar charts you're making your viewers like work to understand yes. these things Right. When, when they just want their like heartstrings tugged. Right. They they want to feel it. Right. And so the they want that, to like lust for it. Right. Use, like, yes. Like mm -hmm. they, they really want to desire it in their being. Right. Totally. And so like you got to tell the story. Right. It's not about right. like the dollars per year. It's about this the, how this can like this the, illustrate you the story of how this can impact your life. Um, and so and Gosh, there's so many other things to talk about. Uh, if you want to riff on that real, real quick, go for it. Otherwise, I, I have another mimetic desire thing that's highly relevant to crypto markets. I want to riff on something else, but okay. so tell me your second for thing first. So uh, one of the things that fascinated me when coming into this industry was people would say these lines. I heard Eric Connor saying this at one point in time about like, at some point in time, the bear market is over when people just decide to be bullish. And the same thing when the bull market is over, it's because people just decide to be bearish. And it so, sounds like, like such a truism, but it's also true. Right. It's also true. Like what's the deeper it's, it's side a true, of that? It's true because it's a truism because it's true because it's a truism, <laughs> right? Like this is a little of the game, that, the game that we play. Like going back to the whole like coordination theory of legitimacy that we talked with Vitalik, where everyone is like looking around. It's like, hey, are you getting bullish? 
Yeah. Who's who's getting who's getting bullish? Elon who's getting Musk bullish out bullish there? Who's, everyone's getting bullish right now. I'm going to hit the buy button, and then all of a yeah. sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, everyone else is getting bullish. I'm also hitting the buy button." And then all of a sudden, we trigger a bull market. Right? This reflexivity kicks in. We talked about reflexivity on the podcast, uh, and just once enough people, there once there's enough like rival risk mimetic desire going on where everyone starts to mimicking other people. It's like, "Oh, he's doing bull market things. She's doing bull market things." I better do bull market things. So I better empty my bank account and like ape into Bitcoin or ape into Ether. And then all of a sudden we have a bull market. And all of a sudden the reflexivity, everyone else who wasn't in the, in the industry sees everyone in the industry hitting the buy button. Be like, oh, this, the crypto people are buying, hitting the buy button. Like we got to go hit the buy button. And all of a sudden newcomers come in. We start to bank list starts to report on the all time high in active addresses on Ethereum. Uh, and we start to see the DeFi protocol revenues and we start to get bullish. And everyone's like, oh, the bank list boys are bullish. I'm hitting the buy <laughs> button. And it just keeps on going and going and going. And then it goes yeah. too high. And then everyone's looking around. It's like, oh, wait, it's, this is really high. Like, are you, are you being bearish? Are you hitting the sell button? Who's hitting and the sell it button? Works on the sa- and the way it down works and it just way. unravels. It what just unravels. Say. And everyone just copies each other on the way up because everyone like bullishness invokes bullishness. You'll see like crypto YouTubers compete with other crypto YouTubers on who's more bullish, right? Like Bitcoin's going to 100 k No, it's 200 k No, it's a million. No, it's 10 million. It's like what it doesn't matter. It's like there's this competition to be bullish because we're all trying to mimic each other's bullishness. Uh, and then it just unravels on the way down again in theory. Mimicry, mimicry. That's it. That's what mimetic desire is. Mm-hmm. It's all about mimicry. And I go back to that kind of like that Orrin Claff thing of uh, people want what they can't have, right? That's mm-hmm. what triggers it. Like this is the insight of mimetic desire, I think, is people don't value it until they see somebody else who wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was like uh, in grade seven, I moved from Southern Ontario, Canada to middle of Virginia, like rural Virginia. My dad got a new job and stuff. And I went to a new school. And, um, I had female attention that I have never had in my life and will never have again for like a brief period of time when I went to this Virginia school. And it was basically because I was like the fresh meat right. in, uh-huh. in middle school. Right. But in, it was in rural Virginia because, where the selection I'm sure is this rampant. Yeah. And I had this weird <laughs> accent and I was like dressed in like a different culture uh-huh. and I was you totally of a different culture. Right. I would say hoose and a boot and stuff like that. Right. And, um, uh, it just took like a few people of the opposite mm-hmm. sex to be like, Oh, Oh, interesting. Canadian boy. Okay. Uh, you and like Canadian wasn't, boy? Yeah, I it's like Canadian boy. Exactly, dude. So this is exactly how it happened. And like, it wasn't, it's not like, it was nothing to do with me. It was just because a few members of the opposite sex were interested and wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Like a date with the new Canadian boy. And mm-hmm. so that's how it spread. And I've mm-hmm. like never seen anything like this, but it's like, it's never <laughs> happened to me again. It will never happen. Like, <laughs> Right. But like, this is all what mimetic desires is basically, and it it affects everything. It's in the dating Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. It's in the job world. It's in the, you know, like how to pitch world. God knows it's in crypto. It's like everywhere. Once you see it, that's why this is such a powerful insight to me. I remember in, in when we were listening or doing the podcast with uh, with Luke, I remember this one uh, distinct memory I have of being confused in middle school where I had two lady <laughs> friends in middle school. One of them got like this very specific purple shade of a North Face jacket. And that was her jacket. Like she was a North Face jacket girl. And then like somebody, one of her friends got this same exact shade of North Face jacket <laughs> like two weeks later. And I was, and I was, just, I was a, a boy who's already like, when you're a boy in middle school, you're already like two confused or three years behind the time. Behind. 
yeah. yeah, right. The girls are already more mature anyways. Um, but I remember the girl that got the jacket first was mentioning about how like, oh, the, her name was, uh, the second girl's name was Lizzie. It's like, oh, Lizzie, she got the same exact color of jacket. Like, why did she <laughs> do that? So like, not only was there mimetic desire by the girl who got the rivalrous was the second person to get the jacket, but the first person identified it. She's like, why'd she get the same color North face? Like it was just <laughs> right after I got my North face. And so like, there was two parts. It was like, first the mimetic desire got the girl to get the North face. And then the mimetic desire was like, made the first girl pissed off at the second girl for getting the same North face. I was like, and then, and then we do the podcast. I'm like, Oh, that's what was happening back then. That's why that's I was exactly confused. what was happening. It's happened mm-hmm. through childhood, definitely in middle school in high school and like throughout your lives, the same. Mm-hmm. It, what strikes me is uh, humans are so predictable, right? Yeah. And yeah. like, what are markets? It's just groups of humans. And mm-hmm. like your, your comment, I thought this was super insightful when we talked about bubbles. It's just like, uh, what, what, what book did you mention, David? It's in my queue somewhere. Oh, um, Devil Take the Hindmost. Devil Take the Hindmost of like, you, you originally thought, hey, there's like three bubbles in history, but like, mm-hmm. no, it turns out we always do bubbles. We it's, always do bubbles. It's, it's human in our behavior. DNA. It's in mm-hmm. our DNA. And like so many things are, in our DNA that we're just saying, seeing play out on a, on a rapid scale in crypto. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, super insightful. I, I feel like um, there's lots of ways to apply this to, to crypto, but then also like um, to life personally that right. I need to unpack. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why they, they call these people who Girardians, people who follow uh, Rene Girard. It's like a whole kind mm-hmm. of movement almost. Yeah, cult following. Um, yeah, because I think there's a lot there's a lot to it. Just this is like life philosophy stuff, but it definitely applies to crypto and, and to markets as well. Um, I also think Luke is about to go on his own crypto journey. Um, it just mm-hmm. felt like toward the end of the conversation right. that he's like toe down the rabbit hole. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going there. So that'll be cool. I hope he does. And we get a chance to talk to him in like a year mm-hmm. from now and see what that's like. Crypto as an industry is definitely responsible for one of my favorite things about this industry, it just cuts away a lot of the BS. Like there's a reason why Bitcoiners are the only people calling out the Fed and no one else, no other cohort or community of people is really calling out the Fed on their BS. It's because Bitcoiners cut away the BS. Uh, and same thing with like Ethereum and, and, and DeFi. And, and basically crypto is one massive revolution of just cutting away the BS and only leaving the essence. And so we, we talked about this with the Vitalik uh, Vitalik's legitimacy episode, which very much feels like a sister episode to this thing, um, about how um, shit. Where was I going with that? Uh, one second, I'm gonna pick it up. Oh yeah. Um, so like mimetic desire is very relevant to crypto, but I I don't think it's actually perhaps more relevant to crypto than any other facet about life. The whole thing about magnetic desire is it is a blanket across the whole entire psychosocial level of the entire world. But in crypto, we can identify it because we've cut away from the BS. It's more transparent. It's more testable. It's more viewable. It's more, uh, you know, the transparency of crypto allows us to see things like this better. And so applying magnetic desire, even though I don't actually think that it applies to crypto any more than does the rest of the world. In the crypto industry, you can see it better. It's more viewable to you it because is, we cut away the BS. It's totally more viewable. Like NFTs make it super viewable. It's so right. obvious that NFTs are like purely mimetic mm-hmm. desire, right? That whole crypto punks example that I got into. And here's right. what's super interesting is um, like the internet as a mimetic desire propagation engine mm-hmm. and then crypto as a value capture 
instantiation. layer, instantiation of mimetic desire. What's that going to do? How fast will this transition happen? Like in, in mainstream media, when people have called like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, ether, um, millennial gold, you know, like gold for millennials. And they, they like do it in like, I, I feel like baby boomer, elite baby boomer media and as kind of dismissively. It's like, oh my God, no, that's huge. Because mm-hmm. the mimetic signal that millennials are sending, successful millennials are sending other successful millennials is like, you want to and need to own crypto, right? Mm-hmm. And like, they're going to be flashing their NFT. They're going to be flashing their like ether uh, Ethereum wallet, they're going to be flashing like how much Bitcoin they have. And that is going to be the new store of value that people want to, um, you know, pile into. It's like at some level, I wonder if, if, if stocks are kind of like um, a generational store of value, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I don't know, we have this new thing called crypto and future generations are just going to like mimic successful crypto people. And it's going to, this is going to spread so fast. It's going to spread like wildfire, I think the younger mm-hmm. generations. And so it's like, it's just a matter of time, man. This, this whole thing is, is so inevitable. It feels like it's just a matter of time. Yeah. The, uh, I think mimetic desire does a really good illustration for, uh, evidence for when people say fundamentals don't matter and price will go up regardless of fundamentals. If that's true, it's largely, I bet you an effect of mimetic desire. What else yeah. could it be first off? Uh, and, and so like, there's going to be a certain, when we talk about the generational, transfer of wealth from stocks to crypto, like boomers are going to retire. They're going to pass on. They're going to, millennials are going to inherit those things. And millennials are going to buy crypto, not because it's intrinsically better fundamentals, perhaps also that, but not, but largely not. It also doesn't matter. It also doesn't matter. Millennials are just going to buy crypto because they think it's cool. And they see other millennials also buying crypto. Like there's a large mimetic desire component to this where like the wealth just gets transferred just because that's what other millennials are doing. And that's why people like you and me and also everyone else in this industry, like Anthony Sazano, all the content producers, that's why we are straight up permables all the time. It's because we know that this is going to happen no matter what. And so we have to signal that we are bullish and we always will be bullish and we are never selling because we want to trigger that mimetic desire to help bootstrap that industry. Like that's kind of the alpha of what like content producers do in this space is like, we are bullish because that's how this industry grows. Yeah. I mean, it's the question of like, you can consider individual mimetic desire. You can consider group mimetic desire, but you can also consider generational mimetic Mm -hmm. desire. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing is like, like at, at some level it's, it's pretty, um, you know, in, in his book, Luke talks about uh, a part of mimetic desire can be like doing the opposite of somebody mm-hmm. else. So um, with uh, with your North Face coat example, I don't know if it's like, it's like, oh, she has this color jacket. So I'm going to do the opposite right. of what mm-hmm. she does, right? Purple? Um, Purple's boo-boo. Blue. Exactly. Blue. But how much, of, how much of this is also generational? It's just right. like, it's the age-old story of, again, humans being predictable, repeatable, again, the younger generations do the opposite of what their parents did, mm-hmm. right? They, why? Right. They just, cause they don't mm-hmm. want, they want to do the opposite. It's mimetic desire, except like flipped on its head. And we, we don't want to do what baby boomers do necessarily. Mm-hmm. We want to do what's cool in all our culture in our generation. Things are new this time. And like, it's different. So baby boomers buying gold. Now we're going to do yeah. the opposite of that right. just because mm-hmm. they're buying gold. Like, it, right. To your mm-hmm. point, it doesn't even matter what it is. Right. <laughs> like, what if baby boomers were into crypto? Well, I bet like we'd be like Buy hipster gold. gold. 
<laughs> treasure chests and like, mm -hmm. you know, storage containers of gold. Um, anyway, th that's another element to all of this. So, so neither of my parents are finance people. My dad's an architect, mom's a psychologist, but the one bit of financial and like, uh, advice or just like learnings that my parents, my mom really ever told me was every time I got my bank statement when I was like 10 years old and I had like $70 in the bank and she was like, Oh, Wells Dave, Fargo? you got it. You, Wells Fargo uh, no, no. Um, it was, a a, it was, no, it was a bank that doesn't exist anymore. That got bought by chase. Um, Sad. Washington mutual, Washington mutual. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, she, so I would get my bank statement and have like, Oh, I made like 13 cents over the last quarter. And she'd be like, Dave, look, you made 13 cents by doing nothing on your $70. <laughs> and like, she would try She did this over yeah. and over and over again, Smart. trying to, trying to get me excited about saving. And I'd yeah. be like, fuck mom, 13, thir cents. 13 cents. And this was back in the nineties <laughs> when interest rates were actually a percent or two. Yeah. And that was the only advice that I got from my parents. And then now I'm a crypto person. <laughs> what's the link there it's the that i did that... the opposite oh i get it yeah exactly like savings accounts growing up didn't matter at all i think they mattered right. more for you know older generations but yeah mm -hmm. exactly that uh anything yeah. else man yeah, the other thing, yeah, there's one more thing. And there's a, a, a YouTube video that I want to, to link in these, uh, the show notes for this debrief. But I sent this to Luke right before we did the podcast. It was a YouTube video from this uh, math, philosophy, science space uh, YouTube account, Veracityum, I think. And they had this YouTube video that talked about uh, the power of synchronization. And they talked about how things tend to just synchronize sporadically, randomly, emergently, uh, uh, in all different facets of the universe. And so they, they started off with this experiment of what happens when you put two metronomes on a plank of wood and that plank of wood is also on two wheels. So the metronomes, when they, the momentum shifts from left to right, like it sends the plank of wood left and right because the plank of wood is on reels. And you can set these metronomes off in different phases, right? So it's tick-tocking at different rates, but over it, eventually they line up to be the same tick-tock because they're allowed to sync up. And they did this at a grander and grander scale to the point where they were doing like 50 metronomes. And eventually over time, they all start to sync up. They all match. And they went through anecdote after anecdote of like they people were walking on a bridge. And as soon as there was enough people walking on a bridge, the bridge would start to move under their feet and that caused the bridge to sway. And then all the people started lining up and walking in the same way that made the bridge sway even more, which made people like it was, uh, adjust their step even more, which turned into a positive feedback loop. There was another anecdote of people just like clapping after a show performance and it was all just random clapping. And then all of a sudden it goes from random clapping to everyone clapping on the same beat, just randomly, no one orchestrating this. And so there, uh, I was listening to that, watching that random YouTube video right before this uh, Luke podcast about synchronization. I was like, there's some here something in the universe syncs things up and i don't know what that power is but it exists in all ways shapes and forms chemistry human psychology sociology physics like things sync in this universe for some fucking reason and i don't know why excuse, excuse well but that's the real mind f here too it's like mm -hmm. so you think when you're in your like you, you think um you have autonomy over whether to clap or not in that performance but do you really right like do mm -hmm. you how much do you actually decide right. for yourself about your desires and your wants and the synchronization mm -hmm. you as a human being are part of this collective social experience right and you might have way less individual autonomy than than yep. you thought you did even right. at the deepest place in our psyche which is like our desires and that mm -hmm. is a huge mind f it's it's basically like 
oh, I'm not as in control as I thought I was. But then when you like peel that back and again, you name it, mimetic desire, then you see that at play. And then maybe you gain some of that control back because you can actually see this working out. Um, that's the insight here. It's super cool. Totally. So. And Sam Harris is all about the topic of like free will. Do we actually have free will? His answer Versus is determinism. No. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He's like, you actually have a lot less free will than you thought. Than you and, that, and that's why in the, in the, uh, in the show, I was talking about the power of mindfulness meditation and yeah. it, mindfulness meditation can let you get a grip on mimetic desire. It's great for the crypto industry. Being mindful in the crypto industry is a very big power for power. To survive, you should definitely just have just just to survive. But mindfulness meditation it allows you to labels like, oh, why do I want that thing? Is that because of mimetic desire? As soon as you label it, as soon as you name it, you can harness it and like, okay, now that I know that that was mimetic desire, do I still want it? And you can really ask yourself and gain kind of that free will back. Um, yeah, Bankless Podcast talking about free will. <laughs> talking, talking about, about free, free will we end on philosophy as we almost always do <laughs> guys thanks for hanging out with us this has been the debrief